Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. Uh, this week's topic, we are going to talk about organization ideas for 401k plan sponsors. Uh, of course, first things first, that 401k conference, uh, go to that 401k, 401k site.com for further information on all our live events. We'll be in Miami, June 24th. That's a Friday. Uh, Lone Depot Park, home of the Miami, Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins. Uh, we'll have game tickets for that night uh, against the New York Mets. Uh, we'll talk about the guests. Uh, should probably be within a few days. We'll have an announcement as to who the guests will be. We're down to two folks, both Marlins greats. And uh, we just booked uh, Seattle for Friday, September 9th. Game against the Braves. Seattle T-Mobile Park. For a bunch of us, it's still Safeco Field. I always hate those stadium names. Keep on changing on me. But uh, let's go to organization uh, ideas. Well, again, go to that 4 for information on all our events. Charlotte will be doing in uh, October or November. Um, I'm probably going to push it to November because hurricane season, but more importantly, the stadium has a hold because of the Charlotte FC or whatever the uh, whatever the MLS franchise is called. So. Go to that 4 for further information on all uh, live events. As far as organization ideas for 401k plan sponsors, uh, it was always a funny thing, you know, like clockwork. When Back in the days before I was uh, a Costco member again, uh, my wife and I, we would go to Target. And right after New Year's, you know, the special area um, in January before um, – you know, they always have that corner of the store with the uh, special stuff, you know, calendar time stuff, uh, you know, obviously Christmas time and Halloween and all that stuff. But come January, there was always organizational tools. Uh, there might be some exercise equipment. It's all about New Year's resolution and getting that stuff done. And uh, same thing with the local Costco. Uh, anytime the plastic bins, these large totes are on sale, I got to pick up a couple. Uh, just, you know, we're organizing and whatnot in case we move in a few years. We'll see when daughter graduates high school. And uh, it's always funny to see them. But it, it's obviously throughout the year, but it's always at the beginning of the new year. You know, you have these uh, large black totes with the yellow tops. You have uh, like these small like shoe boxes, clear plastic and whatnot. So uh, and then there'd be like these uh, carts where you could put stuff on there or whatever it is. Uh, and of course, uh, we all know about the Container Store, which uh, is does a brisk business. I, I don't know about retail anymore. I always think retail doesn't do as and many as, as much as it used to. But the Container Store was always big on organizational products and whatnot. And uh, you know, a plant sponsor needs to be organized to you know limit their liability. Uh, you know if. A person wants to be a slob, they can be. Uh, if they want to be a slob with their finances, they can be. However, when it comes to a 401k plan, they can't. Uh, you know, a plan sponsor obviously is also a plan fiduciary. They have that higher duty of care um, when handling the money that belongs to somebody else. Keeping good plan records and organized and being organized, um, you know, it's all about being prudent. You have that fiduciary duty about being prudent. And a plan sponsor really has a responsibility to plan participants. 
and they really need to be kept organized because missing records and documents are going to be a, 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 a trouble for the tax qualification of the plan. Uh, plan sponsors need to be organized uh, to keeping records for their third-party administrator to effectively do their job. If they don't have the right plan document, if they don't have all their valuation reports, it's going to be very hard for the TPA to make sure that the plan complies. Also, this organization is, is such a, a huge problem when the plan is being audited by the DOL or the IRS. Uh, uh, again, uh, uh, it's a big mistake. It's a big headache. Right now, I'm going through a audit, DOL audit of a terminated plan company that went out of business, but the plan has actually hasn't been terminated. And the plan sponsor company that went out of business, uh, terrible at keeping records. You know, I've I've had DOL audits uh, last year and a half just because the plan sponsor didn't have complete and absolute uh, payroll reports and showing uh, you know, bank information about late deposits of salary deferrals. And, uh, you know, one of the, the problems with IRS audits, especially on the plain document front, the plan sponsor doesn't have a requested uh, document. IRS assumes it wasn't done. And uh, we have that a lot, where a plan sponsor doesn't have all of their, you know, copies of the plan documents. Um and, and again, uh, I always go back to this horror case, uh, and, and to me it was, it was a horror because uh, I was overruled, but I had a plan sponsor who the DOL was auditing, um, it was the defined benefit plan, there were no records uh, given by the actuary, um, no valuation ports, and all the DOL had was a check by the DB plan going to uh, another subsidiary of theirs, and that was because the actuary, who actually was no longer an actuary, he was no longer an EA, uh, he was actually thrown out, he told the plan sponsor that since she had the bulk of the assets, there was no problem with uh, her running a check to the straight from the DB plan to uh, a subsidiary. And of course, when all sees a check like that, they think embezzlement. And of course, to this day, um, unfortunately, when it comes to plan sponsors, you know, you hate to say it, but when it comes to attorneys, uh, I've realized over time there are a lot of bad attorneys or a lot of attorneys who are more interested in billing than they are in, in doing right by the client. So um, I handled the interview at the DOL headquarters over there, Whitehall Street. I think since I think they moved since the Varick Street, or maybe that's the opposite. You know, they used to be on Varick Street. Maybe they're still on Whitehall Street. But anyway, she had litigators who were not ERISA experts. They wanted to litigate it. I begged them um, once she got sued by the DOL to come to terms with the Department of Labor. It wasn't worth it. I was overruled. I was pushed aside. And needless to say, years later. Um, they came to a decision where she was going to pay the DOL $3 million or whatever it was. I don't even know. But at the end of the day, the litigators made out and the plan sponsor did not. And uh, unfortunately, we live in a world of show and tell. And, and not having uh, a plan sponsor not being organized indicates um, the fact that they're not complying, uh, it's, to me, it's, a, it's, a, it's evidence that uh, they're not doing their job. And when one thing is missing, that means that gives the impetus for uh, a government auditor to look further. Uh, we always have that where they ask for one thing, 
they see a problem, and so they ask more questions because if you see one mistake, you'll probably see multiple mistakes. And obviously, when it comes to organization, plain documents, uh, plan sponsors can't get rid of any plain documents. Uh, you know, 401k plan, any type of retirement plan has to be written. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not a one-time thing. It's got to be uh, fixed every six years. And there may be a tack on amendment every two to three years, depending on the changes of the law. Uh, you know, of course, we're going through the cycle three restatement right now. It's ending July 31st. Um, any missing plan documents, again, will be treated as if they were never uh, executed in the first place. So plan sponsors missing a tack on amendment dealing with the cash out rule from 2005 or, you know, the final 401k, 4&M uh, regs. Uh, it's treated as if it never happens. And, uh, you know, uh, it's also important, not only dealing with government, but it's also important to have a, a proper set of plan documents to ensure that uh, uh, plan provisions are consistent and carry forward from plan document to plan document. And mistakes often happen. Um, I did a short stint in a union law firm for about 10 months. Hated it. Um, and the reason I hated it was the hours. Um, I had two infants at the time, uh, and I had a. I was working under a partner who had probably the only person who had worse ADHD than I did. She'd get to her work at like nine o'clock at night, and I have to be there. So you know, you work until two, three in the morning, and then you're taking the train back, only to take it back again. Um, it was it was a bit much, and uh, needless to say, we had one plan sponsor probably a Taft-Hartley plan, and I had to investigate and see what was going on since the 1976 plan document, because eventually there was some changes in the vesting rules, um, and I think changes in the benefit structure that had to be fixed. Another way to get organization going is setting up a committee, and, um, you know, being a plan fiduciary is all about a prudent process for running a 401k plan and following it. One way that could be done is by setting up a committee to handle the plan and document the process and decision-making. Keeping notes of all meetings are certainly a long way towards helping a plan sponsor show evidence that they took their role as a plan sponsor seriously. And, you know, setting up a committee isn't enough. You have to hold meetings and record all the decisions with the minutes of those meetings. Um, and unfortunately, with human behavior, setting up a, a, a committee isn't really foolproof because many times a committee creates a bureaucracy that paralyzes the plan from operating cor correctly. And that, that's that's my fun part of committees. I uh, I was I think it was like two years ago, a buddy of mine from the school newspaper that we were both at at Stony Brook reached out to me and said, "Oh, I'd like to put you on a fundraising committee." I'm like, "Oh, geez, that's that's not going to go very well." And I was dealing with two newspaper guys about fundraising. And I'm like, oh, you know, we should do like, you know, Statesman t-shirts and this, this and that. And the meetings got bogged down to uh, whether the sale of t-shirts was unrelated business income. And here I am, an ERISA attorney who at one point had a union client who had unrelated business income and had to deal with it. And these two newspaper guys were talking about to me about unrelated business income and how the sale of a logo on T-shirts is unrelated business income, which it's not. But needless to say, two years later, we I, 
a year and a half later, we haven't had any meetings and we haven't made any fundraising. And I worked at a law firm where I joked that if Lois, the managing attorney, wanted something to get bogged down and, and um, uh, she wanted to put, you know, really put the kibosh on something or the kibosh, uh, she would just merely create a committee for it. So I remember years ago when I wanted to push social media, she was going to create a social media committee. So she put she put one guy who was our tech guy who had wasn't a lawyer. She put up another. Uh, he wasn't even a, a partner. He was actually an associate attorney who was on the advertising committee who who uh, didn't understand advertising and didn't draw a dime of business. And the two folks, the two associates who were really good at social media, I was one of them. We were on the committee. So, you know, a committee should be there to actually allow the plan to be managed and, and not stifle it. And and one major mistake uh, with committees is having too many members on it. Uh, too many members of a committee are not only the same as too many chefs in the kitchen, but they also paralyze the committee into action when they should be doing their job. On the flip side, um, you have control issues. Uh, people would set up committees and just, you know, they were just a committee. I remember at synagogue, we had the finance guy, um, uh, the accountants who created a finance committee, and then he would never hold meetings. And um, it's important for a plan sponsor, if they're going to develop a committee, to actually have a process in place to actually even also have uh, uh, meetings. I mean, the point of... Uh, Having committee going through the whole process of setting it up and not doing anything with it to me is a breach of the fiduciary process because you set up a process in place, you did nothing, and uh, nothing got fixed. As far as minutes, um, they don't have to be like depositions. Um, uh, draft minutes, uh, you know, it's important for the plant sponsor to draft minutes that record all the decisions made in the meeting as well as the attendance. Uh, obviously, uh, a big decision for the committee is the whole fiduciary process. Do they need to hire a 338 fiduciary? Do they need, are they happy with 321? Um, any recommendations or decisions by the advisor need to be reflected in the minutes as well. It should be a summary of all presentations. And, uh, it's, you know, again, setting up a committee is all about a process, putting it in place and following it. And, uh, you know, again, uh, our newspaper, the State Stony Brook Statesman, we have, a we have a fundraising committee. We haven't had a meeting in a year and change, and we didn't raise any money. That's on the Statesman. When the Statesman's a planned sponsor, that's a whole other story. Next is plan valuation reports, Form 5500s, payroll records and distributions, Form 5500s are available online. Uh, that's why we get those nice little letters in the mail by another plant provider seeking our business because it's all publicly available. Uh, I recommend uh, keeping uh, copies of all plant valuation reports. I think if everything is um, in a PDF file, it makes things easier. I'm a big fan of paper uh, free stuff. Um, that's because I had a giant... Um, and a giant uh, file system that uh, met its uh, grisly end after Hurricane Sandy. 
And of course, the rule of thumb with 401k plans and keeping records is, you know, seven years, but I recommend that valuation reports of 5,500 be kept for all years as well as the plan documents. Uh, it makes so much sense for, you know, a plan sponsor to immediately scan what they receive so they can have a safe presence for all their plan records and there should be no concern that they have to throw them out to make any storage. Payroll records, they need to keep all copies to make sure that there are no late deferral problems that might pop up on a, a government audit or become, uh, or, you know, uh, or because of an opinion by a plan provider. Um, late deferral problems are such a big uh, problem to this day. It's the most frequent error and it, it just drives me nuts because the problem with late deferrals is plan sponsor does it once. They don't just do it once, they do it multiple times. Uh, and, and again, when, with records, I would keep all records, especially if they're paper-free, if they're on a PDF file, because I always hate the situation of the uh, long-lost participant. I watch too many soap operas. Um, uh, I used to, I only really watch The Bold and the Beautiful now, and I, I used to, I still occasionally watch Young and the Restless, but Young and the Restless... Diane Jenkins, who was killed on screen, came back from the dead. And uh, sometimes you feel that way about plan participants. Uh, plan participants that the plan sponsor hasn't thought about in 20 years got paid out 20 years ago and claims they got a little snippet from the Social Security Administration that they may be entitled to a benefit under your 401k plan, and they show up. And if you have no records to show them that they got paid out, that causes a problem. So, you know, we don't have long-lost participants who come back from the dead, but uh, sometimes it feels like that. And, uh, you know, if you don't have records, a uh, plan sponsor could be told by the DOL if there's a DOL complaint that, hey, by the way, you got to reinstate these amounts, even though the, we know that these folks got paid out. Next on the list for organization skills, obviously distributing the required ERISA notices. Um you know, summary plan description, fee disclosure, annual account balance, plan enrollment beneficiary form, and SAR, safe harbor notice, whatever it is. There are plenty of notices out there that plan participants need to get, and I think it's important for a plan sponsor to be organized and make sure that that is actually done, whether it's by e-notice, uh, by email, or paper copy. It's also important for the plan sponsor to keep copies of all these notices as well as records on how and when they were transmitted. Of course, with the DOL reg regs, um, you know, getting them, you know, getting those notices out will be a lot easier. Fee disclosures, uh, again, um, organized plan sponsor will take them, use them as a benchmarking tool to uh, determine whether the plan uh, is, uh, it, you know, whether, whether the plan is paying reasonable plan expenses and uh, they can't be put in the back of the drawer, which so many plan sponsors do. And, uh, you know, that's always been the big problem with fee disclosures. Yeah, we fought for fee disclosure requirements, and it's a big thing. But then when a plan sponsor just puts in the back of the drawer, what's the point? Uh, and last but not least, I think it's important for plan sponsor to keep records of all plan enrollment education meetings. Plan enrollment meetings need to be scheduled to enroll new participants and educate current participants as well. Um, all records for these meetings should be kept, including the advertising done to announce these meetings, attendance sheets, which I guarantee you most plans still don't do, as well as the materials handed out by the plan providers and, and the plan sponsor. And the problem with enrollment meetings and education meetings 
really falls on the plan sponsor most of the time. They're too busy to set one up. But of course, from time to time, you will have an advisor who just doesn't want to do it. Um, years ago, it's less so today, but years ago, you used to have advisors eight, nine years ago just collect a fee and never attend to the client. You know, the plan sponsor wouldn't see the, cl uh, wouldn't see the advisor for two years. Uh, those times have changed, but um, it's important for a plan sponsor to sit on a um, advisor uh, who just doesn't want to show up but just still wants to get paid. So I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode of that 401k podcast. Uh, go to that 401k site.com for further information on all our events, including Miami as well as Seattle. And uh, we hope you can tune in next week for another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. Thanks.